0: That day, she offered me a choice to sign one of two memos, one which said, Heather's been fired. The other one said, Heather's an amazing employee after 14 years, we're so proud of her, she's starting a new adventure. And if I signed that one, I was gonna get a huge check, which is a parting gift, as well as I'd sign a gag order that would say I'd never speak about anything that happened in the 14 years that I was employed at the company. And thankfully, I had been working on my confidence, working on investing in myself. And in my mind, I just thought, no, this is enough. She's bullied me too long. And I looked at her and I said, I didn't write either one of these memos. I'm not signing either one. And if there's nothing else to say, I'm on my way. One, two,
1: three, one. Welcome, Heather Monahan, to The Women Your Mother Warns You About. Thanks for having me. So excited to have you. And Susanna is so bummed out that she can't be here today uh, because it just didn't work out in the UK. So she's going to listen to this later. And she may she may. Who knows? She might show up when her kids are sleeping. But, yeah, I listened to your book. I'm a listener, not a reader. Um, And first of all, such an easy listen to listen. Wait, to which your, book? Confidence Creator or Overcome say, Your Villains? Over, overcome Your Villains, like that. And now I'm in the middle of listening to the other one. So I, I went backwards. And your your voice is so easy to listen to. And I listen to all of my books, but there's something about your voice that feels so real. And what I mean by that is that there are so many, there's so many thought leaders out there. And they're all amazing. But a lot of times I feel like we're all showing up in a way that we think we're supposed to show up. And so we're not really being truly 100% ourselves. And I'm sure you've got some thoughts on that. But hearing your voice, it doesn't come off that way with you. It comes off like you are, this is who you are. Well, it is who I am. But I, I'll tell you, I had I did my first
0: book, Confidence Creator, in 2018. And I was nervous to record that Audible version because I didn't have a podcast then, right? So I hadn't practiced. I launched a podcast, Creating Confidence with Heather Moningham in 2019. And so that really gave me a ton of practice. And so when I recorded my new book in 2021 on Audible, I was very confident going into that. And it's funny, during that time, I had listened to David Goggins' book, You Can't Hurt Me, and he did not narrate the book himself. However, at the end of every chapter, the narrator would stop and he would come on and give like a updated behind the scenes look into what was really going on. So I stole that idea from him and I implemented that idea in my second book, Overcome Your Villains. And I've gotten great feedback on The Audible in particular for my second book because of that David Goggins idea.
1: I Absolutely. I made a note on that because I'm in the middle of writing my book, finally, after like forever. And I made a note specifically on that because I love your, okay, behind the scenes. And like you're doing the update to what you already wrote, and then you're giving the real story of where things are. So I'm curious, where are things with Grant Cardone? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um. Oh my gosh, that guy just knocked me off the top 50 keynote speaker list. I made it in 2022 and then I just lost my spot to him in 2023. So he's on my shit list right now. But no, I haven't, you know, I, I have not seen him. Um. I mean, I'm still in pursuit of that stage for sure, but I have not seen him or run into him in quite some time other than that list.
1: Yeah, I, I, I actually listened to that episode that you got knocked off the list. and I love your I love your honesty and I think your phrase was something like owning your shame with it and you can
0: claim your shame or your shame is going to claim you it's the way it goes
1: yeah so for for those who are tuning in if you don't know who Heather Monahan is she's she's got two amazing books I stumbled first on Overcome Your Villains I'm now in the middle of listening to Confidence Creators but I was listening to uh, Heather's podcast uh, Confidence Creators and she was talking about because I'm gonna just real quickly her bio, best-selling author, Times Two, top fifty keynote speaker in the world, 2022, but not 2023. This you just shared in your own podcast this week, the same week we're recording this. Yeah, it's one of those things. You know,
0: I, I was really disappointed in 2020. I was named top forty female keynote speaker, and I was so grateful and so you know, excited to make that list. And then in 2021, I didn't make any lists. And then in 2022, I made top 50 in the world, right? So you just never know what's going to happen next. And I've learned that, yeah, it's easy to go down and circle the drain and get really negative or you have a choice to own it and say, okay, I don't know what the methodology is here, why or, or what what happened, but I sure as heck don't know what's going to happen next. And I'm just going to get out and do the best job I can so that, you know, whatever is going to happen in 2024 will be that much bigger.
1: Yeah. And I, I really don't think it matters. So that one of the questions I have for you, I mean, it matters, but I think once you have that following and nobody's looking at like, Oh, Heather's not on the list. We can't hire her. I don't think that they're looking at that anymore. No, people are much more concerned with how you make people feel and how you deliver, right? What that
0: ROI is. And that really goes back to testimonials and the feedback that clients share, you know, when
1: you give a speech or when they're working with you. Absolutely. I totally agree. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you was about balancing perception. And you talk about it in your first book and you talk a little bit about it in your second book. I was listening to your first book this morning, but the balancing of perception, because I'm a big believer in, uh, and I coach my own clients on this, right? How people see us. You talk a lot about this, how people see you, right? You have to listen to some of that. And, And here's what I mean with that. Sometimes people see us in ways, our greatness, that we don't see. And getting feedback from others on our greatness helps us build confidence. And so I've always preached that, like, if, you're, if you feel like you don't have the confidence, go find out what other people see as your, I think you call your superpowers. Like, what are those superpowers? And the flip side, you've got haters who have a whole different lens and see you completely differently. And sometimes we struggle with both pairs of lens. Like, "Mm, do you really see me that great? Do you really see me that poorly? And then at the end of the day, I just really kind of have to own how I see myself. I would love your your perspective on like, how do we balance all of that?
0: You know, there's ebb and flows to everything, right? So I love the idea of putting on the rose-colored glasses that somebody else sees me through. And here's a good example of that is in 2020... uh, professor from Harvard reached out to me on a DM on social media and asked me if I would be interested in teach as a guest professor for his class in sales and sales leadership. And I was shocked because I couldn't get into Harvard. You know, I didn't have the grades or the SATs to get into Harvard. And I didn't understand why they'd want to, you know, have me teach their students. So basically, I was not putting myself on a level playing field. I was putting myself beneath others because of, you know, a title or a name like Harvard is wrong, right? Because as leaders, we want to show our children and the world that we're all equal. Doesn't matter where you go to school, what color you are, what, you know, what background you have. That's all irrelevant. We're all equal. And the more I remind myself of that, the more I try to put, you know, everyone on that same level playing field, which was the catalyst to get me on the phone with that man. And once I was on the phone with him, He immediately said, listen, the reason why I'm interested in you is I've been out of the business world for 15 years. I'm a white man in his 60s. You know, you're you have this unique experience. You know, you're a single parent. You you leverage social media and business. I don't know any of these things. And I feel like I'm doing a disservice, Heather, if I don't bring this knowledge and this relevant information to my kids. Yes, I do a great job teaching them the curriculum. But I think that this is sort of an updated you know, version 2.0 of what's happening in business. And once he explained it to me that way, I thought, he's so right. I have to show up to teach them these things because they're learning a lot from a course from a book, but they're not hearing about business today. And so once I saw myself through the rose-colored glasses he wore, I put them on myself and mm. I was able to show up as a, as a really confident version of
1: me and, and lead those kids and, and have a great class.
0: I love that. Which,
1: which brings us to something else that you said was um, when we put other people on a pedestal, we're putting ourselves beneath them. And that was such an aha for me. Not, and it's the way you put things, right? A lot of the way, the ways you put things are like things that a lot of us know in some, to some extent, but you just make it a little bit more understandable. Because when I thought of it that way of like, oh, I think about the people that I look up to or like getting excited about having you here today. Right of like getting you on this show, you're busy. Uh, but when I when I saw that, I'm like, well, get, I'm busy too. <laughs> right, and and putting us in that position, how can we help more people get into that mindset of not looking at it that way? Like we can admire people and we can look up to people, but then we don't want to put ourselves in a, a one down position. Well, listen, I recommend that
0: you think of someone in your life that appears a certain way on social media, but you know that person personally, and you know that's not who they really are. And use that one instance as an example, right? I know this woman who has, you know, a million followers and looks so perfect, but she's nuts in real life. And no one really, <laughs> anyone, people that I know don't really hang around with her, right? Like, you know, it's just, it's not representative of what's real. And you just think of if that's the case with that one person, it could be the case with anybody, right? So who am I to sit over here and judge and put myself beneath someone or someone over me? I don't know the whole story and it's not mine to know. But what I can say is I do want to live in a world where we are treated equally, where my child treats people equally. And I'm going to help be a part of making that happen the minute I start showing up and leveling that playing field for everyone.
1: I love that. And I think this goes hand in hand with, um, this phrase has come up recently for me. And I think there's another reason, like the timing of your book was so serendipitous in so many ways with things that I'm going through at this point in my career and personal life. Uh, and you talked about this on your podcast this week about a friend of yours that's playing small. And this phrase came to me several weeks ago. Someone said the same thing to me, you're playing small. And it, it was kind of funny hearing you talk about it on your podcast because you talk about, you know, you're just going to be straightforward and, and tell someone that you care about. This is what I think. And when I got that message delivered to me, I was like, whoa, what? what are you talking about? But this person was right. So when I hear this of when this came to me that you're playing small, I was like, OK, that I was happy. Someone that cared enough about me to bring it to my attention of where I could, you know, focus on that. But I think there are also a lot of people who play small and they feel like there are constraints and restraints to their ability to play big. Let's just say they work for someone and they don't know how to play big because it might be career limiting or it might get them in trouble or they're fearful of the judgment they're going to get from other people have called me playing it big and called me extra for my entire life. So I'm sort of used to it. What about the person that doesn't know how to deal with that? How could they get away from playing small in an environment where they might get in trouble for playing big? Okay, that's what happened to me in corporate America. And and here's what I want
0: people to know. You're in the wrong workplace. You're on the wrong team. If you're with people that want you to dim your light intentionally to make the world a darker place because they're intimidated by you. You need to leave that room and get in a room with people who are at it, running at another level where that's where you're meant to be, first and foremost. Secondly, what I'll say is to the story that you're referencing on my podcast, this is a very good friend of mine. It's actually a man who I think the world of. He's an incredible human being. He's playing small, similar to what you're saying, not because of who he works for, but where he lives. He's in a smaller community in the Midwest, right, in a community where... You don't want to be raggadocious or people might not see that as positive. He might be judged in his church and his community. And, And my message for him is that, you know, you're so concerned with what everybody else thinks. Let's instead be so concerned about the people you can reach. If you do start dialing up your message, your light and the goodness that you're doing the world, you're going to make the world a better place. You're going to touch and help more people. Don't you believe that's the mission and purpose you have to be here? Stop being so self-centered and focus only on you and start thinking about the good that you can do for others.
1: Oh, that is so powerful. What a great way to flip the script on that, right? Because this comes up a lot. I I had a husband like that, an ex-husband, he's an ex-husband, who didn't like, my light being too bright. He initially liked it bright and then it became too threatening and intimidating. And to your point, I'm like, I was in the wrong room. Well, I was in the wrong house, right? So the only way, the only way to get rid of that was to leave that house and to leave that marriage. So that's a, that's a great point. So let's talk a little bit about your journey. So you were in a situation in your job where, God, it sounded horrendous. For those of us, for those listeners who are not familiar with you yet, could you just give a quick snapshot of, of that? God, I could feel when you told the story of what that boss walked in the room, in that meeting, in that boardroom, in that conference room, but give us just a snapshot of like, what got you out of that job? What happened? And then what was the next trigger that got you to write the, the, the first book? Yeah. So for over 20 years,
0: I was in corporate America, in media, in sales and sales leadership. I had made it to the C-suite. You know, I'd grown up poor and really just worked incredibly hard. And I was very, very good at my job and was a chief revenue officer in media. I was named one of the most influential women in radio in 2017 in Q4. And literally a couple of weeks later, I was fired. And I was fired when the CEO I had worked for for 14 years became ill. And he elevated his daughter to replace him. And she was really my arch nemesis, had been for years. She had been the CFO. And, you know, during my tenure for 14 years working in parallel lanes with her, she'd never treated me nicely. She'd always been trying to, you know, roadblock me, stab me in the back, you know, delay approvals, not give me expense checks, anything to upset me and, and, and try to cause conflicts for me. And instead of addressing it, I had decided to turn a blind eye to her bad behavior, which was the wrong answer. And Hmm. in fact, I was teaching her that she could get away with treating me poorly. So, you know, over these years, I was becoming more of a B-rate version of myself while she was amplifying herself and landing her spot, you know, as a CEO in the end, which is, you know, to what you mentioned, this is the moment she fires me. But right before, about a month before she fired me, I was sick of you know feeling bad about myself, sick of going home and crying that I hated my job and staying because of the paycheck and the golden handcuffs and whatever other lie I was telling myself. Really, it's fear of change, right? Fear of uncertainty. And I decided I was going to make an intentional effort to work on building my confidence back. I had known what confidence looked like on me. I had the visual, right? I started doing the work. I started practicing affirmations. I, you know, I started writing down the things I was proud of every day. I started stepping into fear and in small situations first to start building back my confidence. I started doing the things that allowed me to feel like the best version of myself. And during that month leading up to her firing me, thank goodness I was taking those steps because that day she offered me a choice to sign one of two memos, one which said, Heather's been fired. The other <laughs> one said, Heather's you know, an amazing employee after 14 years. We're so proud of her. She's starting a new adventure. And if I signed that one, I was going to get a huge check, which is a parting gift, as well as I'd sign a gag order that would say I'd never speak about anything that happened in the 14 years that I was employed at the company. And thankfully, I had been working on my confidence, working on investing in myself. And in my mind, I just thought, no, this is enough. This is She's bullied me too long. And, and I looked at her and I said, you know, I didn't write either one of the, these memos. I'm not signing either one. And if there's nothing else to say, I'm on my way. And I took all of the power out of that room and, and walked out of there with my head held high with all the class in the world and then made it down to my car and started crying for the next three hours because I had no idea how I was going to pay my bills. I had an 18-month non-compete in the industry that I was an expert in. And so I had to start over somewhere as a beginner. And I remember 24 hours after getting fired, I hadn't heard from anyone. And I realized she was keeping it quiet. She wasn't announcing I had been terminated. So I announced it. And I went to social media and I said, I've just been fired. If I've ever done anything to help you, I need to hear from you right now. And that post went viral and it landed me on the Elvis Duran show. And halfway through that interview, he looked at me with all the conviction in the world. And he said, well, obviously you're writing a book. I had never thought about writing a book and uh, he had so much conviction and certainty that I accepted it. And I said, you're right. I am writing a book. I held myself accountable and then I jumped on a plane and I Googled, how do you write a book? And the rest is history.
1: I, I love it. I love it. I, again, I felt, I feel like in a lot of ways we've led parallel lives. And I think a lot of people can relate to you on that. We all have our own stories. And one of the stories that you shared is the criticisms you got behind um, uh, your one. Your book was similar to someone else's book. Um, I don't know who that someone else is. Oh, I will tell this is the the
0: (laughs) irony of this story. This is it. It's hopefully helpful to the listeners, because right before I was launching my first book, I sent it to my family just to say, hey, guys, this is coming out next week. I, I hadn't showed it to anyone other than my editor. Cause I didn't want to hear people's negativity. I just wanted to do it. And so, and I think that when your ideas are fragile, it is smart to keep them, you know, close yeah. until you can nurture them into becoming, you know, something more fully built out. So the book was done. It was going live in one week. I sent it to my family. My mom stopped talking to me and my sister, who's the smart one. She's an attorney, very successful. She said to me, you're going to be sued, but not only by your past employers but also by Jen Sincero, the author of You Are a Badass because your book is sort of a knockoff of hers. And again, she was trying to protect me, right? She was saying this from a, a place of love and caring, but also a place of fear for you know her own, her own limiting situations. And so I was devastated, but I made a very good decision. I called someone who was light years ahead of me. I called my editor and I explained to him what my sister said. And he said, how many books has your sister written? And I said, none. And he said, How many books have I written? And I said, 19. And he said, Who do you think you should be taking advice on? And I said, Well, I guess in this instance, you. And he said, Exactly. Heather, you can be sued for anything. I've been told a million times I'm going to be sued. I've never been sued. Let's publish the book. This is a done deal. Only take direction from those who have been where you want to go. And I agreed. I've launched that book. And wouldn't you know, that book launched in 2018. In October of 2021, you know, a few years later, Forbes named the top five business books for women in 2021. I was number three. And Jen Sincero, You Are a Badass was number four.
1: I just get the goosebumps from that. That was (laughs) incredible. That Um, was incredible. Amazing. Have you ever talked to Jen? No. Uh, Has any... uh, Does she even think that? This is what other people's BS is. Well, this was just came from my sister. (laughs) I don't know (laughs) if anyone else thinks. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh,
1: and the reality is, is we all have a story. And I think, you know, after reading your book, my own limiting beliefs of holding back of how long it's taken me to start. And I actually started a couple of weeks ago, finally. But there were so many limiting beliefs that held me back, like, well, who'd want to hear my story and what makes me qualified and the imposter syndrome and all of those things. Uh, and I know you've had this experience from speaking. There have been a couple of times where I've, because I keynote and I've done, where it was just strictly a motivational, like, hey, can you lift these women up? And I'm like, sure. So try to get away from teaching and just do motivation. And I even went into it feeling like, no, what do I really have to add to this? It's just a story. And then there were a line of women wanting to talk to me about the stories. And that was the aha moment of like, your stories are what pull people in that give them this like, boost of confidence, right? That they can keep pushing through. So that that's pretty awesome. So so you start writing the book, you Google how to write a book. How'd you find your editor? On social media, on, on LinkedIn. You
0: know, there's so LinkedIn's such a powerful community of business professionals. And yeah. it, it just it's time well spent and invested in when, you know, you're looking to do more business and, and be around like minded people.
1: So you you chose the path to self publish versus get a publisher, because that's Getting a publisher, and you've got a great story about that for the second book, is quite the feat. of Trying to find a publisher, how hard was it to self-publish? Easy. It was, it was easy not for you. hard at all. Yeah. So, so and, and then the book went to number one, correct?
0: Yeah, Trump, Donald Trump, for number one on the business biography list the first week it came out.
1: And what can you say uh, contributed to that success? Because that's not easy either. You've done a lot of things that definitely appear hard. For people to accomplish. So how'd you, how did that happen? Well, don't forget for
0: 25 years, I was in sales and sales leadership, right? So I was teaching companies, clients and teams how to sell. That's what I, that's my superpower, right? So selling books wasn't the hard part. The hard, scary part for me was writing it. I didn't know how to do that part. I knew once I had a product, I know how to sell and market things. That's what I'm really good at. And I have 25 years real life experience doing trial and error, right? So once I can get to that part of of the program, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be confident and I'm going to have strategies I can test and try. But it was getting
1: to that to that end point, which was that was the harder part. Okay, that makes that makes total sense. So then then the podcast comes. The podcast followed the book. So how did that happen? I Googled how do you sell books? Right. Because that's a new industry
0: to me. I hadn't worked with authors. I, I had no experience. So I Googled, how do you sell books? And it said, go on podcasts, go on TV shows, use email lists, use affiliate partners, use people with social media offerings, speak for businesses and get them to buy your books. So I tried every single one of those different ideas to see where the strongest ROI was. And it ultimately landed me on some big podcasts, The Lady Gang in Los Angeles. And when the next day I woke up, that episode that I went on was next to Oprah top 10 in the society and culture list on Apple. I took a screenshot of that. I shot it over to the head of their podcast company with a note that said, I'd love if I can stop by. him in L.A. right now and just say thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. And I went in to see him and he ultimately
1: offered me my own show then. That is so cool. OK, so then book number two, book number two comes what was the inspiration there? I know it had to be the, the boss. Was that part well, of it?
0: You know what? I believe in people will tell you what they want from you. So I read DMs a lot. And mm-hmm. so I look at the DMs and the DMs were always asking me, Heather, first book was great. Love Confidence Creator. But what happened since you got fired? Because Confidence Creator kind of ends the moment I get fired. That's when I wrote the book. Everyone wants to know, how did you get in a speaking business? How did you land a 10x talk? How did you you know step into fear and start over as a beginner and push through imposter syndrome? People wanted to know those tips and tricks. And so when I started seeing, I was constantly receiving questions about that. I thought that's my next book. People want to know, you know, what are the acts of becoming an entrepreneur, leaving corporate America and making that leap? And so I wrote the book and then I thought, you know what? This time I want to try it with a traditional publisher. I need to find an agent. So at the time, Rachel Hollis was the biggest uh, Mm -hmm. nonfiction female author. So I Googled her, found her agent's name and I started pitching her agent. And then her agent, you know, enlightened me that I needed a book proposal and I had to invest in myself again and hire someone to help help me write a book proposal. And then 14 times we pitched her a book proposal, 14 times she said no. And then on the lucky 15, number 15, she signed me and we did a deal with Harpercon's leadership.
1: Wow. Okay. So, so you know, as a salesperson and as a sales leader, it's the persistency part, right? Of like constantly going back until you get the no. Well, you know, it's interesting. Mediocre
0: salespeople will give up at three to four no's, yeah. right? So, yeah. so it, and again, not judging anybody, but I know that I'm not going to be mediocre, right? I'm going to show up more than that. However... I also believe in self-worth and knowing when you know you're nailing something. I remember saying to myself after the 14th, when she sent me back again, I thought, you know, this woman just might not get me. And that's okay too. So I went and Googled top nonfiction agents in the U.S., whatever year that was, 2020 or something. And I compiled a list of 10 other agents that if she came back on 15 and said no, I was going to walk from her and I was going to go pitch them because. At some point, you have to say, okay, I'm spinning my wheels here. There's
1: got to be somebody that gets me. Um, but
0: she did end up getting me on 15.
1: So again, it's like, are you in the wrong room? Right. And you could be. So you have to at least, you know, be willing to look at that. So the, so this book, um, what the other thing I love about the book is the way you've got it laid out. I love the Audible version. Um, for those of you who are in Audible, I'm huge in Audible, the kind of like the behind the scenes, it's like, It's like the second part of the book, but you only get it in Audible kind of a thing. But the way you've got the book laid out, could you share that with our listeners? Because there's three core areas that you lay this book out in that will help people get better. Yeah. Years
0: ago, I was on a call with one of my mentors, an older gentleman who is light years ahead of me. And I said, what am I missing? What am I not doing? He said, you've never distilled down into a simple process what it is you do, how you find success, whether it be in media, as an entrepreneur, there's he said, Heather, there's a process that you employ. You've got to sit down and figure out what it is. And it's simple. And only you know what that is. So I sat down the same way I would in corporate America with a whiteboard. And I mapped out various instances in my life, whether it was when I pitched myself for a job that didn't exist in corporate and got it, or when I was an equity partner and I, you know, doubled the revenues on that company. I went through all these big moments in my life of success and failure and how I turned them into success. And I came up with this three-step process, which is called BACK. It's beliefs, action, and knowledge. And I broke the book into the three different steps so that, you know, some people will resonate really quickly with, oh, yeah, I'm good at action. I know how to do that. And that's me, right? So you might not want to start with the action part. You might want to start with the beliefs part because that's where you really struggle. You have self-limiting beliefs. You know, you're telling yourself lies. Like, this is where you want to dive into first. Or some people might want to start with knowledge, and you know what is the knowledge that we're accessing, and is that advancing us or holding us back? So, looking at these three different segments, and knowing you know wherever you are in your journey today, you can jump into whatever section you want and start like it's the first page of the book.
1: Yeah, it's so so good, so good. I can't say enough about it. I'm gonna um, take a question from Susanna. She sent it in the chat as the little ones are going to sleep, and she wants to know. Um, about building a career and being a mom or the way she says it, mom, being a mom of a little one and advice on how to juggle the two. Do you have any advice on doing what you're doing, being badass and being a mom?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, to me, put yourself first, right? So I remember when I first got divorced, I wasn't working out. I wasn't going out with my friends. And I was kind of this bummed out version of me sitting at home at night with my little baby. and And I ultimately remember realizing Is this the leader I want to be for him? Do I want him to grow up and be a man that is not the best version of himself, but sits at home, you know, with his kid every night? No, that's not who I want him to be. I want him to pursue his dreams. I want him to have a robust social life. I want him to be healthy and working out in a gym. But if I want that for him, I need to show up as that guy every day. So that's why I started getting a babysitter and I started going back to the gym. I started making myself a priority. I started getting dressed up on the weekends and going out with friends and enjoying my life. And what I realized was the more I would lean into the things I wanted to do when I was with my son, I was excited to be with him. I was telling him great stories of the fun things that are happening. And I just thought to myself, this is who I want him to be as an adult. I've got to stay on this path, even though there's moments I feel guilty. Of course, everybody has those moments. But I also learned when I was in corporate America, I was away on a work trip one weekend. My son had a game. His father wasn't there. I wasn't there. And he got hurt. And another mother took care of him. And while you might think, oh, that's terrible. It ended up being this incredible experience that my son learned. I don't just have two people in the world that I can lean on and Mm. and depend on. There are great people that are going to show up all throughout my life. There's a community of goodness here. And and that taught me such a great lesson, which was it was a gift that I was on a business trip that day because now he has bonds with that family to this day years later. Right. And he's got these relationships and these people he can depend on. Outside of just his familial circle,
1: I love that. I hope that helped you, Susanna. Her her kids are are little, so I know that it's it's a juggle of trying to do all that when when your kids are both of her kids are under five. I, I want to jump over to because th- what you talk about just as a as a parent, and you've been a leader and you are a leader. Let's talk about leadership and the workplace and corporate because this comes up a lot for me as a sales coach. I get asked this question over and over again. And I think that's how I stumbled on you, quite honestly, is that I was doing um, a lot of research on confidence because recently Susanna and I just actually created a course for Sales Gravy on sales presence, which has a component on it with confidence. And I think that's how I found you. But the question comes up all the time. How can I be confident like you, Gina? How can I be confident? How can I be confident? But how can leaders foster confidence because this seems to be a never ending trend and topic that comes up of lack of confidence which i think impacts people's obviously their productivity and their success how can leaders help that stop solving problems for your team and empower them to solve the
0: problem right so one of the things that i used to do when i was in corporate and and would have my weekly one on one meetings with my teams is coming to me, I want to hear updates on, you know, where we are with our KPIs, where you are, you know, versus your goals for month, quarter, year. I also want to hear what are the challenges you're facing, and I want to hear what are two or three options, solutions, or ideas that you're proposing to overcome and and fix the problem. Bring your problems to me. I want to Let's talk through it. But I want to hear what your ideas are, and I want to empower you to go put them into motion so that you feel trusted, that you feel capable, and that you can begin to believe and trust yourself. So often I see leaders who have control issues saying, this is the way you have to do it. And and then checking Mm -hmm. back and report back in. Basically, the messaging is, I don't trust you. I don't believe in you, but I believe in me because I have the right answers. When you work in an environment like that, it is incredibly toxic and it chips away at your confidence so quietly, you don't even see it happening because someone's basically telling you, I don't trust you. I don't believe in you.
1: You're not good enough, but I am. And isn't that what happened to you? Isn't that what was happening to you? You were getting kind of chipped down and didn't recognize it. Well, I didn't work
0: for that woman. The woman that the man that I worked for was, no, he gave me he was free rein yeah. to empower me to do whatever I wanted to do. Um. So, no, he was very, very supportive. However, I worked side by side in parallel existence with someone who would say, oh, what size pants are you wearing? Or would ignore me when I would walk into a meeting, you know, really trying very hard to put me down in very passive aggressive ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, over time being in space and sharing space with someone like that who's supposed to be a peer. Yeah. Was very negative for me. Yeah. It definitely did impact my confidence over time. But luckily for me, it wasn't happening on a daily basis like when you yeah. report to a supervisor.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think there's a lot of supervisors out there. I think your tips are great. And I think there's also supervisors out there that are actually oblivious to the fact that they might have um, team members that are lacking confidence and they're just oblivious to it. So they're never going to get to a place of empowering because there might be some of them listening to this and say, oh, yeah, I empower my people. And they don't even recognize that there's a confidence issue. I don't know if we can solve that problem. Um, that That's a bigger problem in itself. You talk about negativity and you introduce a really great uh, exercise in um, Overcome Your Villains which was on neutral thinking. And the example you gave was so on point because my husband is is going back to school. So he's back in college while maintaining a full-time job. He has major test anxiety. like I can't even go near him on test days because it's just bad. And your example in there was like, I have a test I have to take tomorrow. So you have this neutral thinking exercise. Can you share that with our listeners? Because that was another game changer for me. Yeah, that's actually from a podcast
0: episode I did with Trevor Moad, who he specializes in that This is what he does for athletes, for businesses is works to take people from negative to neutral instead of, you know, so many of us, myself included, want to go from negative to positive, right? I don't, I, I want to jump over that whole concept of the, there is a middle ground, but it's really helpful for people who struggle to get out of negative and struggle to get to positive It's about reframing that positive is not the goal, but neutral is the next obvious step. And to go for neutral, not to go for, you know, this incredibly positive experience. So knowing that that's the objective and knowing that that's the goal and writing down, we actually have the exercise in the book, Overcome Your Villain, you know, whatever the situation is, whether, you know, you have a test and you're going to do awful on it. Well, then the neutral would be is I have a test tomorrow I can study for tonight. I have no idea what the outcome is, but these are steps I can take. That's more of a neutral approach to it versus a positive would be, you know, I have a test tomorrow. I'm going to do amazing on it. I want to envision that. I want to project that positivity out there, which that's definitely where I want to go. But if you can't get yourself there, what is that middle ground for you? And it can be something different than what that, you know, absolute negative is. I remember I was going on to the Elvis Duran show and I was super nervous. I kept thinking, what if I walk out there and I face plant? I fall and Getty Images <laughs> captures it. I, I was really in my mind. I was so concerned about Getty Images. And I would always see his guests, you know, napped by Getty. And so I kept saying, myself, what if I go out there and fall? And then I had to come. I had to go, OK, that's really negative. That's probably not going to happen. But what, what would neutral be? What if I go out there and I walk in and I sit down? Right. Like that was the neutral. OK. That probably could, that's probably what's going to happen. Okay, the positive would be, what if I walk out there, get snapped by Getty Images, best shot that's ever been taken, you know, millions of people see it, and goes viral, right? Maybe that that happens. I don't know. It didn't happen. Actually, it was the middle one, right? It was the neutral one. And so often it's like we want to see that things can only go so drastically bad. But the reality is they're probably not going to go that drastically positive either. It'll probably be somewhere
1: in that middle lane. Well, I I I tested this out on my husband, and it was very effective. So, so thank you for that. And we also um we we talked about tapping into what your values are, and then how do you frame your thinking based on your values. So that came from that. So that was again another game changer. So you talked on your podcast recently about you've been a little bit tired. You've been you've been speaking and speaking and speaking. To all these major companies and we're going into the season for that, especially in first quarter. I would love to hear what are you talking on confidence? What are you what are you talking on when you're going into these large companies? What are they looking for? And, you know, how has that been for you to to have this experience?
0: So for twenty five years in corporate America, I spoke but didn't get paid for it, right? So as an executive, you are, you know, encouraged to and or told to run sales meetings, run conferences, mm-hmm. you know, appear yeah. on behalf of the company. So I didn't even know the speaking business was a business, but I had twenty five years experience doing it, mm-hmm. right? I'd put the I'd put all the reps in. So it was such a blessing when I stumbled into the speaking business. Um, I was very very grateful for it, right? I decided to brand myself and you know show myself as you know. I can speak on sales, I can speak on sales leadership, I can speak on business acumen, whatever it was going to be. The interesting thing is, the thing I really am an expert in, for like 25 years is enough experience to be an expert, is not what people typically want in speaking on. It's so funny. Yes, I'm brought in to speak to sales organizations, but they're not having me speak on sales strategies, they're having me speak on confidence strategies. And that's, I'm not an expert in that. I only wrote that book in 2018. So it's just ironic that, the thing that people want me speaking to their businesses and companies about are about uncertainty, moving through fear, leadership dur- during pivot moments and change, how to build confidence amongst teams, how to build confidence with clients. It's all these new things that I've just started talking about since 2018.
1: That That's what I love because we're, we often, especially in business, think about, okay, what are the measurable business outcomes I can deliver in this keynote, in this training, in this whatever, right? We're always thinking about what are those outcomes you were in radio. Uh, ironically, I was on the other side of that coin. I was a media buyer, right? So those were the things I was looking for from like, what are the outcomes going to be? And now, and I call it squishy. It's like the squishier things that people are looking for of, of confidence and mindset. And what are your thoughts around can we measure that, right? Because someone is going to be like, "What's the ROI on talking about that?" Yeah, I mean, well, obviously, we can
0: measure anything by looking at the performance metrics at the end, right? So, if we're going to look at it through, if I'm speaking to an MLM company, uh, which, which is a sales organization, which I'm, I'm doing in two weeks, you know, we can look at what is that next quarter performance over, you know, prior quarter or prior year, right? We can look at these softer techniques and say how do they impact business my personal experiences and, and this is where i see the breakdown when you're when you're teaching on a very specific strategy or you know you, whatever methodology that you're working with a team on it's not a, just about that day people will walk away that day and say i'm so fired up this is incredible i want to know how i do this i'm going to go bigger i'm going to raise the bar on myself right everyone's on fire and excited. The real challenge, and this is what I work with companies on, is how do we take that day and that impact that day and extend that over a quarter, two quarters, or a year? That's where you want to work with someone like you or me who has some business experience and isn't just you know giving a motivational speech because motivation is gone after you know, 24, 48 hours. But how do we extrapolate that and have it deliver business outcomes, have it deliver revenue growth. And what does that look like over the next, you know, four months, six months or a year?
1: Okay. So it's kind of like I've got, I'm speaking at several sales kickoffs in the first quarter, right? It's like been super busy, even though everybody's saying the economy is rough. The, the, it's the kickoff, that motivational piece that gets them revved up is like the appetizer. And then give them the rest of the meal. With something else. And that was actually a conversation that came up right before I got on this with a preparation for a kickoff of like, well, what if we, uh, what if we need, because I always raise the question, how are you guys going to sustain this after I leave? What are you going to do going forward? And they're like, what are we going to do? Will you come back? Of course, of course we will. Um, so awesome. What's next for you? What's next for Heather? I'm launching two
0: new products in the next month to two months that I'm super excited about that I've never done before. So I can't wait. I've got a third book that I've mapped out. I haven't started writing it, but I, I do like a, like a, a map of, of what the book's going to look like. I already have my title. So now I just need to figure out, do I want to go traditional or self-publish and then I need to start writing it. Um I'm always working on new ideas, new partnerships. I mean, it's just, I'm super open to... In the past, I was very linear. Like, this is my next step. After CRO, I'm going to be CEO. Now, in my world I live in, I, I just know that I have no idea what that next huge thing is going to be. I know it's coming and I'm open to it. And as long as it's in that umbrella of, you know, showing up as that real version of myself, empowering others, teaching and imparting, you know, true and good information that's going to elevate people and, and make the world a better place, I'm all in. Can you share any of the new products you're working on? One of them came from my first book. And again, I go back to I get so many messages about it that I decided to create a product around it. And the second one is like a natural progression, uh, you know, in that a lot of people come to me wanting coaching and they can't afford one on one coaching. So I'm I'm coming up with a solution that can be, you know, in, include more people, be in a more inclusive, lower price point solution.
1: OK, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I was just going to ask, what can and I've been all over your website, so I've looked at what you are doing. But for people who are listening to this and they're like, I need more Heather, what are ways that people can work with you? Um, My podcast is free.
0: Definitely check it out, Creating Confidence with Heather Monaghan. You can read my book, Confidence Creator, Overcome Your Villain. I do Keto's. I do offer very limited one-on-one coaching. I'm actually maxed out right now, but for Q1, I would be able to take somebody on. Um, And then I'm going to have, as I said, two more options that will be unfolding here shortly. Oh, that is so awesome.
1: And uh, can you share your book title yet or is it still top secret? Oh,
0: uh, no, I'm happy to share it. It's The Secret Art of Skipping the Line. Oh,
1: that sounds fun. (laughs) It is fun. (laughs) I can't wait. So you're you're trying to decide between self-publish and publish. Um, So what are the pros and cons? So the pro is when you self-publish,
0: you are the only person you have to check in with, right? So you just say, do I like this? Yes, I do. Okay, let's move forward. So speed to market. If speed to market's important to you, self-publishing is the way to go. If you like having hundreds of editors, if you want people, you know, taking um, market information out and getting data on what's testing well, what's not testing well, if you want that type of support and involvement, then it's going to take you 18 to 24 months, but going the traditional route is a better route for you. Okay. Okay.
1: Good to know. Uh, It was so great having you here today. Um, One final question, because you were so so gracious about coming on this show without knowing me and me just randomly sending you a DM, obviously that worked. And as a salesperson, we, we try to figure out what works for people and what are the communication styles. You're very successful. People look up to you what keeps you humble and approachable? Oh my gosh, getting fired and losing everything
0: overnight will knock you to places you've never been. Humble, like like none of this is a guarantee, right? So I'm nothing without my community. I'm nothing without my people. And the more that you make things about others, the more you make it less about yourself. I was far more ego driven when I was in corporate, because that was the environment I lived in and, and, and emulated and, and mm-hmm. modeled around the people around me. Now I'm not in an environment like that at all. Right. It's all, it is all about being humbled every day. Cause I constantly make mistakes. I have no idea, you know, this one product I'm making, I had no idea what I was doing. Right. I've had so many epic fails since I've gone out on my own that every day is a humbling experience for me.
1: Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. As we wrap up this show, one of the things that really resonated with me so much is something you said about you, you already referenced it with your editor, right? if you want advice about doing something, go to people who have done it, go to people who actually have experience with it. And I, I giggled at that when I heard that. And I told my current husband um, that because he's amazing and treats me like a rock star. And I remember when I started the podcast and people were like, why are you doing that? how are you making money? That's so And right. You go and you ask for advice and people criticize it. And it's like, why did I ask all those people? Ask the people that that have been there, have done that, or the people that you want to go down that path and they're going to help you down that path. So thank you for paving the way for so many people who look at you as a role model to pursue their own success. So thank you for that, Heather. Oh,
0: thank you. And yeah, I'll just sum that up with don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't ask for advice and never take direction from
1: someone who hasn't been where you're going. Yeah, that is such great advice. Thank you, Heather Monahan, for being here. Your website, if they want to find you and they're just listening to this and not looking at the show notes, how do they find you? We keep it easy at heathermonahan.com, and I am on all social media at Heather Monaghan. Yes, she is. Thank you once again. Thank you listeners for listening to this episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About sponsored by Sales Gravy. And if you do want to take it to the next level, check out salesgravy.university where you can check out close to 200 courses, both live and on demand. Thanks again to Heather for being here and thank you to our listeners.